0: Welcome to Discover Library and Archives Canada, your history, your documentary heritage. I'm your host, Jessica Ouvrard. Join us as we showcase treasures from our vaults, guide you through our many services, and introduce you to the people who acquire, safeguard, and make known Canada's documentary heritage. In this episode, we discuss Library and Archives Canada's Virtual Gramophone, a multimedia website devoted to the early days of Canadian recorded sound, providing an overview of the 78 RPM era in Canada. Joining us today from LAC are archival assistant Gilles Leclerc and head audio conservator Gilles Saint-Laurent.
1: don't they sing the old songs now the dear old songs of yore the songs we sang in happier days now gone forevermore give me a strain of funny dune with all its banks and braves, and tell of Highland men
0: Hi, Jill. Thanks for being with us here today. Thanks very much. Does LAC's collection include music recordings?
1: It does. In fact, we have a fairly large collection of a little over 200,000 recordings from all eras. And uh, it's quite fascinating to see the full development of that, of the recording industry. We have just about a sample of just about everything that's come out since the late 19th century.
0: And uh, are these recordings available and accessible to the public?
1: They are. In fact, uh, for the most part, uh, one can come on-site to actually listen to them. Usually there would be a, a reference copy or a consultation copy prepared for that, especially for the old 78s, because those are rather brittle, and so therefore we try to preserve those as best we can.
0: Are these only accessible in person? Or
1: you can, of course, consult our web page, because the virtual gramophone provides a fairly extensive uh, part of the 50,000 records that we do have, that are 50,078s. Of those, we described about 15,000 on the web page, uh, called virtual gramophone, and of those, about 7,000 you can actually listen online or actually even download, which is quite interesting. So it makes them really accessible.
0: And uh, what kind of, what, are these all Like recordings like on um, 78s or are there different types of formats?
1: For the virtual gramophone, we're talking 78s. However, if someone came on site, they could listen perhaps to the CDs that we have in our collection. Of course, those are coming in through a legal deposit Uh, or the vinyls as well. Unless, of course, those are too fragile, those would also have a consultation copy prepared on on DVD or or CD.
0: Do we have cylinders as well?
1: We do, so we have a fairly uh, large collection. Those are rather fascinating, and they preceded the uh, the actual 7-inch, uh, 78s. Uh, and it must have been quite striking to go from nothing, that is to say nothing listenable anywhere, to music in a can, so to speak, because their little container actually looks like a can.
0: Here's Gilles Saint Laurent.
1: The very first recording in 1877 uh, by
2: Thomas Edison was on uh, a cylinder. So it's basically, you know, a large cylindrical object wrapped in foil. And the the sound waves were etched directly onto this foil. Later on, the discs were made smaller and they were made out of wax. Um, because plastics have not in been invented by that time. So this, you know, we're talking about the early 1880s, mid-1880s. Um, the problem with these early cylinders um, is there are several problems. First of all, they're wax. It's hard wax, but they still wear out. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the pressure of the needle would wear out the information on the grooves. Um, they were very fragile. They would break you know, quite easily. Uh, there was no room on the uh, cylinder to write song information. So you, c- you can wind up with a drawer full of cylinders and not know what songs on what, um, on what cylinder. Um, and they were not easy to store because of the physical size of it. They're the, the basically the size of a, a pop can okay. so the, and with the information uh, etched into it. Now, the advantage of discs when they, they came about in the late, teen, late 1880s was that, you know, again, a lot of stuff. Um, there was one, so one interesting advantage. It was that there was room on the, on the label to stick a label on the record and to write down what the information is, and you know, have some kind of you know, record the, label and who was the musician, some sort the musicians, of musicians, composers, record labels, uh-huh. any kind of information that, that you wanted. Yeah. Um, and then the very first, um, uh, very first discs um, were made out of a, a rubber, like it was a hard rubber, um, but it sounded awful. It had real quality control issues, and that's when they they developed. Um, developed uh, shellac discs which is you know the modern 78
0: right and um so nowadays how do you play and digitally record these these albums or records The records yeah the
2: um we have modern equipment uh, that's been designed to play back um these early discs and cylinders uh the very first records like cylinders and discs before 1925 were recorded without microphones because electricity uh, wasn't available and the microphone hadn't been invented so they would um, sing directly into a horn and the sound waves would etch the original material Uh, later on in 1925 when they started using microphones um, they discovered that the microphones could pick up a great deal more bass than the cor- horn could and what would happen is that the groove would cut into the adjacent groove so what they had to do is cut the bass before uh, they put the the song onto a disc with the idea that at home with, your, re- with your, uh, your amplifier you'd bring the bass back to where it was cut and they also did something with the exaggerated the high frequencies and lower that later to reduce some of the noise the surface noise the problem with this is that these playback curves, as they're called, uh, changed from record company to record company. They could e- each have different frequencies where they would boost a cut. Uh, even within the same record com- same record company, they would you know the Chicago plant might have a different you know uh, EQ than say the Montreal plant. Right. Um. So what we have is I you know, we worked with a company in uh, in the states to develop a box that allows us to dial in the proper playback equalization. So that way that we have a historically accurate sound. The playback equalization wasn't standardized till 1955. So anything before 1955, which it all is. these records are, is. is all over the map. Right. It's just everywhere. And ultimately, the decision has to be made by year as to what EQ you're going to use. Um, something could have been released in 1926, but it was recorded in 1924 before the microphones or it's been reissued. So there are all kinds of things that, that play into it. Uh, another thing that uh, we need to keep in mind is that the size of the record groove has changed over the years. Uh, the very first ones were quite coarse and then over the years they made them smaller so they can get more windings and longer playing playing discs. Uh, so we have a large range of styli that allows us to track lower and higher in the groove to get the best sound possible. And sometimes there's certain damage to the records. I mean, like, who knows where they've been before we got to them. Uh, so sometimes by ch- you know, choosing a slightly smaller, slightly larger stylus, you can work your way around the noise. Sometimes it doesn't make any difference, and other times it'll be a night and day difference.
0: When you're talking about the stylus, you are referring to the needle?
2: It's the needle. Th- that's correct. The needle that sits in the, the groove.
0: Okay, thank
2: you. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that the earliest uh, flat discs You know, they're they're called 78s, but were never recorded at exactly 78. Uh, They can go from, you know, mid-60s to 100. And that really has a large effect on this quality of the voice. You know, the voice sounds like a chipmunk or one of the chipmunks, and the is too fast. It just sounds very unnatural. So we spent a lot of time uh, getting the proper pitch. And to do that, we have a keyboard, and we compare the record to the keyboard and try to figure out what key it's in, keeping in mind that... You know, brass instrument prefer flat keys, strings, sharp keys. Um, Pop music likes more. Pop music is more written in simple keys. Right. And classical music, they can modulate and all of a sudden you you wind up with six sharps or something. And in terms of, and for classical music, we can pull out the sheet music and compare it and compare it to the sheet music and find out exactly what key it should be in. But the challenge to that is at that time, uh, classical musicians had no qualms about transposing a music to fit their voice. They even had pianos invented, where the whole keyboard would just shift over, so the guy's still playing in there. No, just shift over half a tone or a tone, and it's just to allow, you know, the player, the piano, the the pianist would just play whichever key, but it's playing a tone higher. So that really messes with you know. So the, you know, the score says one thing, you see something else, and you're going, "Oh, that sounds a bit off." So again, it's, it's taking all this stuff uh, into consideration.
0: What we're listening to when we're listening to the virtual gramophone is pretty close, as authentically close th- as you can to the original. We what you think c- it might be?
2: Well, what we think it might be, yes, yeah. and you know, it's an educated guess. Yeah. Um, but and also when, once you're hearing on the virtual gramophone, like the first thing we do is get the best analog sound possible. Right? So you get all your EQ, stylus size, speed, so that's all set. Then we digitize it at quite a high level. It's about 512 times more accurate than an audio CD. So we start out with a very high quality um, recording, and then we do a very light amount of noise reduction just to make it a bit more palatable. You know, make it these 19th, you know, 18th century technology more palatable to 21st century ears. So we'll remove some of the you know, pops and clicks and a bit of hiss just to make it a bit more uh, enjoyable to listen to. Now, I, don't, I could take off, certainly could have taken off more noise, but it's best to leave a bit of noise and again, leave more music and let people decide on their own of whether they want to turn down the high frequencies or, or do what they want to do with the sound.
0: What is the earliest recording in LAC's music collection? The,
2: er- the earliest recording is from uh, 1889, okay. and it's a, a, f- a small five-inch record. And this one here is, is a guy making sound, animal sounds with his mouth. It's very bad, but very entertaining.
0: So can you tell me where these sound recordings originally came from? Uh,
2: the ri- the g- records originally came f- um, originally came from a guy called Ed Moog, who started the collection in 1967. This is a man who had worked uh, at the CBC, had a show, and was very passionate about uh, these older records. Um, and then after that, uh, we would acquire collections, either with uh, um, collectors would sell them to us, Um uh, we get them through um, auctions, dealers, whichever way that we can acquire these old, these old records. Because of course these records weren't, store, weren't sold in record stores per se because they were you know, clearly far too old for that to happen.
0: What are the highlights of the collection? Does it include any unique recordings or companies?
1: I, I think overall the collection really does give us a, uh, um, an overview of the production of recordings here in Canada and that's the, the interesting thing. We really captured who were the artists of the time? Who were the great singers? And so, therefore, I'm um, just to mention a few things. Uh, we have Harry McDonough, who was one of the more famous of the singers of the era. Uh, we have his recording, uh, the 1899 recording of "My Little Georgia Rose." Uh, the thing that that's a seven-inch 78 because they were a little larger uh, after I would say about 1910, but the seven inches are at least really smaller. They almost look like CDs. And in fact, they were only recorded on one side too. So that's interesting how things kind of go around with the full cycle. Um, of course, the famous uh, the Maple Leaf Forever, which almost ended up being Canada's national anthem, but didn't. But we have that performed by the Kilties Band, recorded in 1902, and it's a fairly rare Canadian Tartan label. Tartan was one of the labels on which recordings were redone, and uh, the interesting recording by Joseph Saussier, he recorded a a classic in uh, religious music, Panis Angelicus, Uh, but he is the first uh, Franco-Canadian to have made a recording and so we have that recording in our collection. So those are some of the highlights. We also have Madame La Bolduc, Mm -hmm. one of the more famous uh, popular singers in the 1930s in Quebec and she had a particular style, came out of folklore music mostly, and uh, we can say we now have every single original copy that
2: she ever put out. Yeah.
1: That's pretty interesting. <laughs>
0: Are there any other notable Canadian artists included in the virtual gramophone?
1: Yes, uh, I have to mention Emma Albani, who was probably one of the more famous sopranos at the end of the 19th century. Became a very good friend of Queen Victoria, apparently. Uh, most of her career was in Europe. Once she left uh, uh, Quebec, she really had went did world tours. Was really renowned, and we have her recordings, which were all done later in her career. So we didn't kind of catch her at her peak. Nonetheless, it's it's a wonderful. Um, capturing of the voice and that, was, and that made such an astounding uh, impact on the world of music in the end of the 19th century. So Emma Bani is definitely one. A few other classical ones are Pauline Donalda, Sarah Fisher and Hubert Isdale and these are all names for people to discover because perhaps we don't know them today do we? But they are, they are in our collection and so therefore they're a record of the, uh, no pun intended there, but there is a record of our history, music history, uh, quite important uh, for us.
0: Does LAC have any particular tools available to find sound recordings on the Virtual Gramophone website?
1: There's a search engine, of course, on Virtual Gramophone. You can find by topic, by name, uh, title. Um, we have a few articles which would be of interest to uh, uh, people coming to the site because they will provide a, a nice overview of the recording industry in Canada, how it began. Uh, Emil Berliner was, of course, at the source of that. And they'll be able to read up and see just how uh, Canada really always seemed to have a fairly strong presence in the development of the recording industry. Of course, it was starting at the states and in the United States at the same time with Edison and Columbia. But uh, Emil Billerner kind of kept his turf and protected his turf in Canada. And, and thanks to him, we ended up with quite the collection of recordings by both anglophone and francophone performers here in Canada.
0: Hmm, excellent. What can the music recordings found in the virtual gramophone tell us about Canadian identity and culture and history?
1: Definitely, um, it can covers events. I mean, when you look at the songs that you're listening, um, they cover historical events.
0: There's certain themes that come yeah, through.
1: They come through. World War One. I, I mean, if you check under "War" under the uh, virtual gramophone, you'll find about 600 songs. So we're not short on those, and, and of course, a lot of them are recruitment songs, and other uh, just, and a lot of them are songs about mother waiting for her son to come back from war, and of course, the love songs as well. John, pack up your kiss and come along with me as a party cross the sea. And they need your company to praise it. Oh, John, kiss a goodbye, you know that she be true. If near the time to fall in line with a million more like you. Many of them are also dedicated to uh, regiments, and so you see this sort of nationalism. You do capture where Canada was politically at that time because there was a much closer relationship with Great Britain we're still part of the Commonwealth, but we don't have the same dynamic today as we did there. So a lot of the songs will talk about going to go off to war for king and country. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that would be as strong today, but it's it's capturing the spirit. And I think all of that lies as well in the words. You can just do a study of the words and just see what the social values are.
0: Right.
1: This comes through with sheet music as well. So.
0: So you can definitely see a, there's a distinctly ca- Canadian flavor, too.
1: There is, and another uh, thing that really emerges is that a lot of the songs are bilingual. They had French words as well. Roméo Boudry, who was uh, with one of the major labels uh, in Montreal for years, he must have put French words to at least a 100 popular songs, many of them American. But uh, it's quite interesting to see how they were dealing with two marks, of course, and so therefore they made sure that there were, there were French, uh, French words to many of these popular songs. c'est mon bonheur à je possède
0: Do we have collection material from artists beyond virtual gramophone scope? Older or more contemporary? Uh,
1: more contemporary, of course, because when I mentioned earlier, the 200,000 recordings, uh, of course, that covers everything from rock to what have you. So, so it does... I think there's something for everyone in the collection. Yeah. Uh, and like I said earlier, we are also still accumulating through legal deposit and or recordings are coming to us automatically as well. We, we have to sometimes go after them, but uh, most of the time they do arrive. And so the collection is, is perpetually getting bigger and bigger. And uh, so we'll have a, a challenge in the years to come, but I think it will be a good one. And we'll just keep on capturing all of that sound recording industry.
0: What do you think is the greatest difference between these musical recordings and musical recordings of today?
2: Oh, they're <laughs> <laughs> the the um, there. I mean, it's a night, really, a night and day difference in terms of sound quality. Um,
0: this is the modern aesthetic. you talk Well, about?
2: well, no, it's not even so much the modern aesthetic. Is that well, f- well for instance, the physical size of these records, uh, the shellac discs. On their own can weigh quite a bit, and then you get a let's say the um a classical work like Handel's Messiah that would take up you know twenty thirty discs and twenty thirty acetate discs weigh quite a bit. Now you get the same thing on a USB stick and sound you know, clearer, no background noise. And it's just so transportable. I mean, I wouldn't want to work in a record store, you know, turn of the last century. Those things, you know, those things are very heavy. And of course, the sound quality now is, it's so much better, so much more open and much more... Well,
0: so much more accessible to our... It's more accessible. It's pure. The well, it's more pure, it.
2: but that's... That's what our ears has gotten used to, yeah. right? So back then, th- there were at like in the nineteen twenties. There was an I saw an advertising, and they had hidden a gramophone and a singer behind a curtain, and people couldn't tell the difference between the two. <laughs> or uh, the 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 ear has you know you, today, of course, you'd hear the difference in a heartbeat. And but it's just because of the ear training that's gone on. Uh, you know, we've just gotten so used to a uh, good sound that it's something that we all take for granted. Another thing too is that all the recordings uh, back then. Uh, were live recordings now. Of course, uh, everything's done to computer, and if someone flubs one note, you can go in there and repair the one note, electronically repair it, or you know just start that line over again. Um, so now there's there's a much more it's a much more perfect recording, you know, for better or for worse. You know, it's certainly an individual's choice, but um, certainly the the recording is perfect on you know much more levels than uh, than before.
0: The Virtual Gramophone website is basically showcasing all of LAC's music collection. How widely used is the website?
2: Uh, first of all, it's not the entire collection. It's only material that's in the public domain, meaning that there's no more copyright attached to the songs. So all those songs um, have been, you know, as many as we can over the years have, have been digitized. Uh, and as an instance, the, the last year, uh, eight million songs were listened to from that website. And you know, the really the remarkable thing is that we're not talking popular music from today. This is you know, there's a real keen interest. In the older material, and, and we've heard from people from uh, you know, filmmakers or television show producers who use the music all the time, for you know, for for their sets or for you know the material that they're they're, they're working with it. Film students, uh, music students, the uh, you know, performing styles have changed over the years, so it's really interesting for music students to compare the older versions to the newer versions. Also, in on the virtual gramophone, there are. Um, notes for teachers, so the teachers would say, you know, for instance, um, how does this music sound different from today, or how is the interpretation different from today, um, which apparently been a very, uh, very welcome by the teachers.
0: Can you tell us about the most challenging digitization project you have worked on to date?
2: I had um, a 78 that was actually made on very thin plastic that like you used to find in National Geographics or they used, to, they used to give them away in box office, in box, in cereal boxes. But what had happened with this record that it had been folded in half and someone must have dropped it in an envelope and sent it off somewhere. So every time, so every half um, winding of the record, it would skip. So what I would have to do is to record half of it, try to get the other half and then work my way all the way around and after dozens if not hundreds of edits I was able to stitch the whole performance back together winding by winding and remove as much as possible the uh, the, the noise it made when it, uh, it removed and uh, when at time it skipped or it jumped. That song is uh, you might want to link to that one too. It's um, Hush by Birdie. So the song is Hush by Birdie.
1: Okay hush a bob a croon. hush a bob The sheep are gained to the silver wood, and the
2: coos are gained to the brood.
0: The greatest difference between these musical recordings and musical recordings of today, from a collection perspective,
1: from a collection perspective. See, I, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, there, I, in, I guess there wouldn't be much of a difference in that. You still want to capture all that is coming out. Uh, perhaps the, the challenge today is that there's more coming out. Definitely more uh and the way that it is being disseminated it makes it all the more a challenge to uh, to capture because we are we are collecting now the cds the hard copies if you like uh, uh all the digital age here is providing just a whole other uh, level of challenges that we will be responding to in the next few years for sure because uh, that's our purpose is to is to capture all of that uh, the format is, of course, uh, the digitization there that it kind of opens up all the possibilities of, um, of how we can also preserve it in our collections because it's not captured the same way. The way as well to make it available to, to Canadians coming in and wanting to listen to digital recordings, that will be a challenge for us because there are matters of copyright. Uh, so all of that has to be dealt with, uh, which we will in, in the next few years. But I guess every era provides uh, challenges uh, to preserve the copies as best as we can. And this is one of the reasons why we had a virtual gramophone website put up, so that Canadians can actually consult it online, and that we could avoid actually using the original copy, the original 78, which in many cases are rather brittle. And although they may be in fine uh, condition, they are definitely brittle, and so with the slightest uh, slip, they can crack and uh, never be put back together.
0: <laughs> what do you think are the future challenges that we face for the physical collection?
2: The uh, biggest challenge, and this is not just us; this is is worldwide. Is the, the entire question of equipment obsolescence? Uh, we're lucky in that uh, records is a, is a fairly you know the you know the the groove is a fairly simple technology and it can easily be rebuilt for instance we have a cylinder player um again technology that was made you know originally invented in the 1870s uh, but we have a modern player you know built out of aluminum beautifully machined uh that'll play back these uh, play back these discs the real challenge um would be dealing with more modern material like um reel-to-reel tapes uh, some of the you know early digital media uh where you can't rebuild... You, you would have to rebuild you know, IC chips, uh, all kinds of machinery to rebuild it. And what I'm seeing is so many archives across the country and around the world just don't have the money to do it. And they're not making these machines anymore. They haven't made them in 20 or 30 years. So what do you do in 50 years from now? You, wanna, you have a room full of tapes that you can't play.
0: So is digitization the only option for this particular part of LIC's collection?
2: digitization is the only way because what it allows us to do is to store a lot of information in fairly small uh, containers um, and then it's we can automate the process of you know of copying the information later Uh, so once it's copied once at a high resolution and then it's just a matter of you know transferring it to you know refreshing the medium uh, into something that's a bit more stable
0: so does that mean that you constantly Going from one medium to the next as things change.
2: Well, what we do is we'll go f- to like from a disc, for instance, to a file, an audio file. Uh, and once the f- once it's a digital file, then it's stored onto computer storage. And it's up to the you know computer people to make sure that it's everything gets refreshed and it gets done properly. And we have the equipment to play back the old digital files.
0: Mm. Well, th- thank you for joining us today. It was, it was my great pleasure. Too have you here and uh, hear all about the uh, recordings. Thank you. To learn more about using the Virtual Gramophone website, read our blog post called Listen to Canada's Musical History with a Virtual Gramophone at thediscoverblog.com If you'd like to explore Library and Archive Canada's music collection, please visit us online at bac. On our homepage, select Discover the Collection, and then select Music and Performing Arts. On this page, you will find links to our music web exhibitions and databases. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jessica Overard, and you've been listening to Discover Library and Archives Canada, where Canadian history, literature, and culture await you. A special thanks to our guests today, Gilles Leclerc and Gilles Saint Laurent. For more information about our podcasts or if you have questions, comments or suggestions, please visit us at bac-lac.gc.ca slash podcasts.